0: the only ones we can
1: get them all young and if we stick
2: to our iron hunters satirical song gun control paints an all-too-realistic picture of washington's political leadership who refuses to pass gun safety regulation despite the fact that thousands of americans including elementary students die each year as a result of someone wielding a gun those of us hosting the xx hour today as well as our guest speakers see what iron hunter sees Our political leadership refuses to pass gun safety legislation because of the money. Welcome to the Access Hour, program of and sponsored by WFMP 106.5 FM Radio. We are happy you have joined us today in our exploration of peace and nonviolence. I'm Jim Johnson, today's host for the Access Hour. Following is part of WFMP's public affairs educational program. Today's XS Hour program features a recording of the March for Our Lives event that occurred here in Louisville, June 11, 2022. The June 11 March for Our Lives event also occurred in cities across the country. March for Our Lives is now a national movement designed to pressure the United States' political leadership to pass common-sense gun safety legislation. Locally, the March for Our Lives event was attended by five hundred to eight hundred people and featured speeches delivered by Mayor Greg Fisher, Congressman John Yarmouth, the director of the Ace Project Rose Smith, the student Zoe Anna Mazden, and the poet Jelena Smith. The event occurred because people have seen enough gun violence and they are demanding that Congress act. Mayor Greg Fisher is the first to speak.
1: Have we had enough? Yeah. Thank you all so much for coming out. I'm Mayor Greg Fisher and Really appreciate everybody being here. We are here today to stand against gun violence and stand for common ground in finding solutions, to call for sane and sensible gun safety and gun responsibility, to stop all this killing by guns. We're gonna be talking about some sad things today, but guns, as of 2020, are now the number one cause of death for youth, surpassing auto accidents for the first time. That is totally unacceptable, and this horror must stop, and it can stop. Today is a platform for everybody, but especially our youth, for their voices to be heard. Among those here today, I want to thank them for coming out, JCPS, Justice Now students, We Day Kentucky, The Ace Project, Moms Demand Action, Kentucky Chapter, Mothers of Murdered Sons and Daughters, known as Moms, The League of Women Voters, Of course, your Louisville Metro government and your congressional representative as well that we'll be hearing from in a second. LMPD is in the house to support us as well. We thank Chief Erica Shields. The folks that you see at these tables to your right and left can give you a lot more information on how to get involved to end gun violence. Now, this rally is all about taking action about this scourge of horrific gun violence that is unlike any other nation in the world. So when you hear, Some elected officials making excuses, saying, well, it's about mental health, it's about video games. Guess what? They have those in every other country as well, but what we have here that those other countries have is we've got guns everywhere. So what we need to be talking about is guns. And we need to put elected officials who are in position to do something about it but don't do anything about it, we need to put them on notice. You must act now to value the lives of those that you are sworn to protect and protect them over the gun lobby. It's really a simple choice. Do you value guns or do you value people? Do you value the mass slaughter of young children or assault rifles? It's really that basic. And you are failing in your duty to protect us from gun deaths, whether it's massacres, suicide by gun, or the daily gun deaths in our cities. The elected officials that refuse to act, they flood our country with guns. Then they blame others for the carnage. Shame on you. Shame on you. They are arsonists, pretending they're firefighters. We are sick and tired of living with the threat of gun violence. It's an ache and a cry from coast to coast, border to border, and an anger with those in elected positions at the state and federal levels who refuse to act. Can you at least try? Even now, even to keep our kids safe. Guns have invaded every aspect of our lives. Going to the store, to the movies, to a concert, to school, to our houses of worship, in our homes, our streets, in our relationships. This is a nightmare that must stop. And we are here today to say enough. Sandy Hook in 2012 was a horror that no American wanted to revisit, nor did we want to be taken back to Charleston church where victims were targeted just for their skin color in 2015, or in our city in 2018 when a man gunned down two people at the J-Town Kroger, or in our commonwealth when a young student opened fire at Marshall County High School, killing two and injuring 14 others. Yet here we are again with innocents murdered at school in Uvalde, Texas, at the grocery store, in Buffalo with weapons designed for war, but bought and carried by young people who aren't allowed by the law to even buy a beer. You've got to be 21 to buy a handgun, but you can be 18 and buy an assault rifle. Does that make any sense? No. It's time to say enough. I talked about 2018 because that was the year that a 19-year-old deranged individual entered the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida on Valentine's Day and killed 17 people and injured another 17. The Parkland students who survived that horror decided that they were not going to stay quiet. They weren't going to let the deaths of their friends and fellow students go without an effort to keep that from happening to other kids at other schools in the future. And so March For Our Lives was born to try to change hearts, to try to change minds, and to try to change laws so lives could be saved. And led by our young people, including one who said, it's time for victims to be the change that we need to see. So if you have not been involved with this advocacy before, thank you for coming. It's time to start. And if you have been involved, we got to ramp up the volume. It's time to get louder, more persistent, It is time for change. Now we've got several more speakers, among them, most importantly, young people with important messages. And after our last speaker, we will march a couple blocks south on Sixth Street until we get to Martin Luther King Jr. Plaza at the Mazzoli Federal Building. Now we're going to the Federal Building for a reason. That's where Senator Mitch McConnell has his local office. Think about the tens of millions of people across this country that are calling for sensible reform. Think about the fact that over 80% of Americans want some type of reform. And it's wonderful that we're having all this grassroots from the bottom demanding change. But there is one person in the entire country that could make this change happen. And he is the Republican leader of the United States Senate, and that is the US Senator from Kentucky, Mitch McConnell. So we need to exhort Senator McConnell single-handedly he could change this debate and get sensible gun reform going in our country, one person. So we must demand that action, action that has overwhelming support from all Americans, and we must see action from Senator McConnell, the Republican senators in Washington, D.C. So Senator McConnell, we need you to use the immense power you have to save lives, to choose lives, and stand up, stand up to the gun lobby. Enough is enough, enough is enough, enough is enough. And if enough isn't enough, how much is it gonna take for there to be enough? How many more people do we have to lose? So after the program at the federal building, we're gonna march back to these steps for a performance by the real young prodigies. Let's hear it for the prodigies. But first, let's hear from Soliana Mesfin, a recent graduate of Eastern High School, who will be studying sociology and Pan African Studies at U of L? Please welcome Soliana.
3: Hello, hello. My name is Soliana Mesfin, and I'm 18 years old. I serve on the Mayor's Youth Council and just recently the Kentucky Board of Education. I'm also a graduate of Eastern High School, a school where three students were shot at a bus stop and one was killed earlier in the year. I'm sorry we as youth and allies have to take on this fight. A fight where we have to beg, urge, and plead for our deepest pains to be simply acknowledged. Where we have to tirelessly prove that our livelihoods are worthy and where we are reminded of an emotionally taxing and upsetting reality that is our nation. This is very much pain invoking as most of us come here carrying the loss and legacy of a loved one victim to gun violence. We know this pain and system all too well, but we are not stagnant. In every opportunity, we shall continue to denounce perpetrators and systems that enable them to continue. What we are doing today and every day is the answer to liberation that we will obtain for those we mourn and those we welcome. So as youth, as mothers, as sons, as daughters, as uncles, and as neighbors. May we transcend the pain and damage in our communities to continuously advocate alongside one another and demand justice. No matter the narrative or perception, we as youth have the ability to change systems, despite what those in power have to say. The combination of solutions, approaches, and our willingness will directly make strides in securing equitable gun safety laws. The power of our collective action will engrave the notion that youth can and will effectively build a prevention infrastructure that institutions will adopt for years to come. We will lead lead the effort in community restoration to heal and invest amongst ourselves so that we can feel safe in our schools, safe in our churches, safe walking down the street, and safe living our lives. We are equipped and willing to fight, and we just ask that policymakers do what they were elected to do, which is enforce equitable policies. (laughs) And ensure that all citizens live in its impact. I urge policymakers to make an effort in valuing, not listening, but valuing the perspectives of victims, survivors, their families and communities. I urge them to leave behind a rhetoric or agenda that prevents their contribution to the progression of gun control. I urge them to actively seek for updated strategies and establish bipartisan support. And I urge them to recognize the layered and complex reality of gun violence in our communities. We need you to stop prioritizing guns over and solely talking about your thoughts and prayers. There are many avenues to recognizing how much of a detriment our current system is. If people in power continue to ignore their urgency, then we will simply vote them out. And if we are unable to vote just yet, we will campaign and raise our voices and work endlessly to replace you with somebody who prioritizes our lives. We do not have the same seats. Those in power have shiny elevated seats and fancy buildings. We have seats in a classroom that are designed as a shield in case of an active shooter. We have proven that no matter the seat, anybody has the ability to advocate for the preservation and health of our people. In Louisville, the highest annual toll of youth injured or killed by gunfire was 2021. And that toll is only subject to rise this year. We are in a crisis. We have to understand the nature of Louisville gun violence in order to effectively combat it. We have to establish local policies, solutions, and conduct cross-organizational outreach and support. This requires an effort on all fronts and all perspectives. To my fellow youth, especially those in underserved areas and communities of color, may we rise above an oppressive system. May we fight to dismantle discriminatory policies and practices. May we remain connected in our message. And most of all, may we prioritize our well-being and find solace in this evolving movement of change. Thank you all so much.
1: Let's hear it for Soliana. Please welcome to the podium, the country's best Congressman, John Yarmuth. Thank
4: you, Greg. Hello, everybody. I want to thank everybody for being here, and I want to particularly thank all the young people who are here today. Four years ago, after the Parkland shooting, the first March for Our Lives occurred in Louisville. It was a miserable day, as I recall, but Greg and I were marching with all these young people, and as we walked up Main Street, we looked at each other, and we started to get emotional because we said, there is hope. These young people give us hope. And they give us hope today. Now, some of you know that for the last four years, every day that I've gone to work in Congress, I've worn an F on my lapel. (laughs) That's my F rating, my failing grade, from the National Rifle Association, which I proudly wear. Now, today, I supersized it for the event. And when I wear this, a lot of people say, Does that, Is that like FU? And I said, When it comes to the NRA, yes, it is.
3: Right.
4: You know, Greg mentioned the fact that we've got one guy who happens to live in this community who has single handedly prevented responsible gun safety legislation from coming to the floor of the United States Senate. We've passed it in the House. We just voted for a package of seven bills last week. That not only are important steps that we can take to prevent gun deaths—not everyone—but how many does it have to prevent before it's worth doing, right? I mean, are ten enough? A hundred enough? A thousand enough? Anyway, we did that, and with the measures we passed, every one of them is supported by more than 60% of the American people, some of those proposals upward of 85% of the American people. And most of them, most of them even supported by a majority of the NRA membership. And Mitch McConnell won't let them come to a vote on the Senate floor. But let's not, let's not overlook our other senator, who is not exactly a paragon of virtue on guns, either. And we've got a chance to do something this November to Rand Paul. But as I, you know, every day I have to listen to this. I, there's a sign down there that said B, stop the BS or something, which it, we call BS, we do. And every day, when we listen to these people on the floor, trying to come up with lame excuses for why they can't support common sense gun safety legislation, your head will spin. Just the latest one, John Thune, South Dakota. Well, my people in South Dakota, they need AR-15s to get rid of the prairie dogs. Prairie dogs are this big. Another another Republican U.S. senator says, oh, we need AR-15s to shoot feral pigs in Louisiana. Come on, at least try harder. And this is the biggest thing we have to call BS on. When people say this is about the Second Amendment, this is about the Constitution, call BS. It's not about that, it's about gun sales. This is about gun sales. I have to repeat something that one of my colleagues said the other day, he was challenging Republicans in a hearing, and he said, whose side are you on? The kids or the killers? The kids or the killers? I know which side we're on. And we have to pose that question to anybody who tries to defend a position opposing good, common sense gun legislation. So I'm gonna keep working. I got not quite seven months left. Uh, one of the things that I was asked the other day, what's what are some of your big disappointments from your 16 years in Congress? And I said my biggest one is that we haven't been able to do anything on gun safety. I hope that the, in the next six and a half months that we can finally get something done. But even if we get something passed, it's not going to be nearly enough. It's not going to be anywhere near what we need to do to address the problem of insanity with guns in this country. So. We're gonna to have to keep fighting, we're gonna to have to keep marching, and we're gonna to have to keep raising our voices because these kids, we don't want these kids to end up like the kids in Uvalde or so many other places. You know, this has become very personal to me. I have a not quite three-year-old grandson, and I also now have a one-day-old grandson. And I don't want JD or Rory to have to worry when they go to daycare or school about being gunned down by a lunatic with a weapon that was designed for military use, not for self protection, not for killing feral pigs or prairie dogs, but to murder human beings. It's time to act. Enough is enough. Thank you all for being here. Let's keep the fight.
1: Thank you, Congressman. Are we going to keep marching? We're going to keep marching. All right. Next up is Jelante Smith, a Central High School grad who's currently at Kentucky State University, majoring in communications. Jelante will offer a spoken word piece he wrote about how a personal experience with gun violence changed his lives.
5: 12 years old in of Terrace the place where they say thugs and drugs is all we are worth. Looking from my lens, I see wisdom and joy in a situation that could be reversed. My mother is struggling, my dad is gone. A statistic is all they see, and they couldn't be more wrong. My first experience of gun life, all too common. OGs out in public doing what they doing, playing dice, trying to scoop up some quick cash, to either feed the family or pay a bill, just moving to survive. Not to anyone's surprise with the cars that they was dealt and these gun laws that keeps them from reaching success. Tell me, do you see the picture I'm painting? More like changing. And if you come from where I come from, you know how it gets because pride and ego rules the streets just like the politics think they rule the weak. Can we speak to the pain of hearing our mothers cry out our name? When the body bag is zipped up, OG's getting mad, asking for the paper. Watch your step, young man, because this way leads to danger. And the voices get louder. I notice the mood change like a mood ring, hoping that this don't turn into a new thing. Let me explain. From the people who sees this happen every day, two guns, two names, two families, one pain. One shot in the stomach, the other shot in the arm. I had a gut feeling that this would go wrong. One made it to where I was at. I started to see the imitation of life. See the life giving every breath, trying to stay alive. But the one who knows that his life will end on this porch over some white cubes and black dots and a president who had us slaves and cannot change their ways. But I'm in pain in this gun life. The one who lives tells the story and is a hero in the hood. But what about the one who dies? and his family has to suffer for the rest of their life. Life is simple. You live to die. But what happens when someone else chooses your time? But in this gun life, life is crazy, just like George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Trayvon Martin. While even dead, their voices speak, their voices spark a feeling, and when it feels like justice and peace is hard, is heard through the streets, but then judges and cops create a bond to get off with a slap of the wrist and then leave us in shambles looking at this with no fear and no remorse. They go back and forget about all the things that they were taught to get to this. See, while they talk a big game and walk a big game, but they don't feel the pain of black mama screaming out their kid's name, and you won't feel ashamed until you go through the pain of losing someone to this gun life. We have continued to press on because our ancestors gave us the courage and power to press on. Just like Nipsey Hussle, the marathon continues. So we continue to run on until we get what's ours. Our minds are clear on what we believe. No justice. 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 No No peace. And you know some of these things we can't redeem. But just remember these things while you still have your seat. For now. Thank you. job gelante our final
1: speaker is rose smith she will tell you about the son that she lost to gun violence and how she is working to avoid any other family from having to deal with this incalculable loss she's a tremendous tremendous citizen a great woman please welcome rose smith
0: mitch if you hear me and i hope you do this is where I have to go to visit my son. This is where I have to go to visit my son. Can y'all join me and let him know that enough is a damn nub. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. Let's show some love for these students who's able to stand up and take action when our Congress can't. Thank you to these students for taking the lead on trying to do and make things right. Sometimes it's going to take the youth to make change. And for me, I say thank you to all the ones that's out here fighting in this fight. My name is Rose Smith. I am the mother of Corey Ace Crow, age 24, forever 24, a father of one son who was killed October 25th, 2014. His murder is still unsolved, but I refuse to let his death or his life be in vain. I often say on that day, October 24th, my Corey Ace was his nickname. Ace Crow, on that day, my ace was fatally injured, but I, his mother, was critically wounded. My ace got a death sentence, but I got life. Life without my son. Life without my ace. But I had a choice to make. How am I going to spend my time doing my time? So I was feeling down, went on his Instagram page. And my son, my ace, had a post on his page that was only meant for me. And on that post, it said, every mother on earth birthed a child, except my mother. She birthed a legend. High five, mom. And I started the Ace Project, because son, that is my promise to you that this will be your legacy. The Ace Project will be your legacy. So after a couple years where my son was murdered, gunned down, in a bandit boarded up building, a dilapidated building, just nothing going on that was right, I had to make a choice. And I made the choice to purchase the building, to buy it where my son was murdered, where my son was gunned down, and make it a safe place for the community and those impacted by gun violence and trauma so we can have change. I wanted ACE to be a place where there was a sense of healing for the community and services and support for us impacted by gun violence and trauma. So. We know, we know, real change happens when those who need it, lead it. I need it. We need to lead this. We, right now, right here today, this is not a moment. I want you to understand, Mitch. I want you to understand, Congress. This is not a moment. This is a movement to save lives, because every day in the United States, We lose more than 110 Americans. They are killed with guns, and more than 200 are shot and wounded. Enough is enough. This is not a moment. We are going to have this as a movement, and we will not stop until change comes. How many more mothers have to die? How many more fathers? How many more students and teachers and churchgoers? How many more? Enough is enough. Enough, enough. enough is enough.
5: Enough is enough. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. Enough is
0: enough. Then I want to say, our lawmakers cannot continue to look away or forget the lives that have been stolen by gun violence. Our message is simple. Don't look away from our country's gun violence crisis. It's time for you to do your jobs. Now is the time to be bold. Now is the time to do something because inaction is not an option. I need you all to text, text Congress, text vote to 64433 and tell your senators to take action against gun violence and let them know we are sick and tired of being sick and tired we don't want to hear no more you're not thoughts and prayers that's all fand and dandy and you're sitting here looking at a woman of faith i have to be i have to have faith to be doing what i'm doing but okay thank you for your thoughts and prayers but what we want is action Thank you! Blessings! Blessings and peace!
1: Rose Smith! Thank you, Rose. Okay, folks, be sure to get all the information at the booths. If you're not registered to vote, please register to vote. We've got you right over here. Votes will change the equation. All right, now, let's go for a walk down to the Federal Building and visit our friend's office down there and demand change and say, is enough, is enough. We'll be heading down Sixth Street, going south. Let's march.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, you just heard the desperate pleas from political leaders, citizens, students, parents, and poets whose voices echoed across the streets of Louisville as well as cities across the nation. The collective voices of Mayor Greg Fisher, Congressman John Yarmuth, the mom, Moll Smith, the student Soyana, Mazden, and the poet Talanta Smith cry out for change, political change that will diminish gun violence here in America. We have invited Kathy Minkus, one of the leaders of the Kentucky chapter for Moms Demand Action, comment on the speeches delivered during the Louisville March for Our Lives event. Welcome, Kathy. Thanks, Jim. It's nice to see you. Thanks for having me today. Good to hear you. So, Kathy, you have heard Greg Fisher state that the deaths as a result of gun violence here in Louisville has now surpassed auto accidents as the number one killer of youth in America. An article published about a Pew Research Center, quote, what the data says about gun death in the U.S., end quote, states, quote, in 2020, the most recent year for which the data is available, 45,222 people died from gun-related injuries in the U.S., according to the Center for Disease Control. End quote. We are all too familiar with the recent mass shootings, just 10 days apart, that occurred in a grocery store in Buffalo, New York, and the Uvalde Elementary School shooting. Has gun violence become a nationwide epidemic? If so, why is this gun violence occurring? Are Americans inherently violent or is something else at play here?
6: Well, thank you for this question and thank you for including data. I'd like to take just a a second to introduce my organization for anybody who hasn't heard of us. And then we are in Moms Demand Action and Mayors Against Illegal Guns combined in 2014 to form Everytown for Gun Safety. We also have groups called the Everytown Survivor Network, which is designed to elevate and support gun violence survivors and students demand action. And we have a certain number of paid staffers, and among those are researchers who dig into this sort of data, the sort of data that you presented about gun violence. Regarding your question, is gun violence epidemic in the US? I would say it absolutely is. As you pointed out, more than 45,000 people died in 2020, that's 124 people per day. And the rate in the United States has been increasing. It's up 33% since 2011. However, I, I reject the idea that we are inherently more violent than other countries. The difference is that the United States is a wash in guns. There are more guns than people in the United States. And as gun violence has increased, our politicians have pumped more guns into the system. And every time the gun violence increases, they try to put more guns out there. And that's just not helping the problem. If more guns made us safer, we would be the safest nation in the world. Instead, we are an outlier in the number of gun deaths that we have, which is far, far in excess of any other developed nation. And in fact, in mass shootings, there have been, according to the Gun Violent Archive, which I just checked this morning, there have so far been 273 mass shootings in the United States. That's where four or more people are, are shot and injured or killed. And today's only the 170th day of 2022. So, yes, we have an epidemic of gun violence and we need to uh, take steps like you would if you have an epidemic of disease to take to start addressing it.
2: Okay. okay. So, Craig Fisher... They also stated that America's officials refused to act to pass gun safety laws. But a Courier Journal article published June 13, 2022, penned by State Senator Mike Wilson, Max Wise, and Danny Carroll, titled, quote, Kentucky GOP Senators, colon here, school safety must tackle mental health, not rush to blame guns, end quote. They explained that the additional school counselors and one, armed school resource officers for each public schools is what is needed not new gun safety laws what's your thoughts here
6: well there's a lot to cover in there in what they've said and so i'm going to take it in pieces first we need to acknowledge that people with mental health diagnoses are far 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 more likely to be the victims of violence rather than the perpetrators other countries Uh, Other industrialized nations experience similar levels of mental health issues as we do here in the United States, but they do not have the problem with gun violence that we do. And the difference between our, our societies is the prevalence of guns in our society. So I'm, I'm not going to agree with their premise that mental health is the underlying cause. Now, if they want to spend more money on mental health care and and making services more more readily available, it's not necessarily going to change the level of gun violence in our country. But we have underspent grossly underspent on mental health services, and mental health is very help is very difficult to get for people who need it. So it would be a good thing for our state if they would spend more money on mental health but that's not the answer to the the wave of gun violence. Honestly, school resource officers and armed people in schools are not the answer either. The gun lobby has spent a lot of years spreading myths, creating and spreading myths about gun violence. And one of their big myths is that the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Now, there is zero data to support the idea that an armed school resource officer will stop a school shooting. But there's a lot of data on instances where there were armed people, armed officers, armed bystanders at school shootings, at mass shooting sites, and it made no difference. You start with Columbine. Columbine had an armed SRO. Virginia Tech had an an entire police force, including a SWAT team. Umqua Community College in 2015 was the site of a mass shooting. They not only, they had many armed students, people who were former military and who knew how to use the weapons and had them with them. And what those former military people knew is that they could not run towards the shooter to try to take him out because they would be then killed themselves when law enforcement arrived on the situation. In Parkland, Parkland had an armed SRO. He stayed outside the building where the children and the teachers were being slaughtered. He never entered. He did nothing to to save those people. The Buffalo grocery store that we just discussed had an armed security guard who was murdered by the gunman. In Uvalde, they had their own police force for the school. They had an armed officer on site and reportedly he turned he did not take a chance to shoot the shooter because he was afraid he would hit students. And then we all know that the mass of of the Uvalde school police and the the local police and the border patrol and everyone that they brought in to try to help stayed outside of the room for, what, 40 minutes while the students and teachers bled out inside the classroom. Adding armed people to the mix is not the answer. It has not helped. And it completely contradicts the interest, the information that the working group on school safety heard from their expert witnesses that they called in to testify when they started the working group on school safety after the shooting at Marshall County High School. The Department of Education expert who came in said that there's not one scintilla of evidence that an SRO does anything to stop gun violence. What he told them and what the experts throughout the sessions of the working group on school safety told them was that, what you needed is you needed a supportive atmosphere where kids do not feel isolated and where they feel know that they can talk to their peers and they can talk to someone in the staff. And the reason for that is that most often there is someone who knows that the person who is planning a shooting is planning a shooting. You look at the shooter in Buffalo. He had an entire manifesto describing what he wanted to do. And this is where red flag laws can come in to be of help. A red flag law is something that allows someone, and they're different by state, so I'm going to speak in very general terms, allows someone to go before a judge and say, I know that this person that is a friend of mine is, or a nephew or a son or whatever of mine is intending to go shoot up a grocery store. Or I know that this person who is a friend of mine, a loved one, is planning to harm him or herself. And the judge will listen to the evidence evidence and consider whether an order should be implemented to temporarily remove firearms. And I'm not a lawyer, so I can't do total explanation of things, but I have uh, sat down with people who are experts in this. And what they've told me is that this is exactly how protective orders work. First, there is what's called an ex parte situation where there's the person who's bringing the complaint and the judge. And then shortly after that, there's a full hearing which is what satisfies due process in which the person against whom the claim is made can bring up their side of the story. Indiana implemented a law like this in 2005. They called it Laird's Law after a law enforcement officer who was shot and killed. And initially, it, it, I believe it was intended to stop murders, but what we have also learned is that it also decreases gun suicides because people have a tool that they can use when they are have evidence to show and reason to believe that something like this is going to happen. Someone is a danger to himself or to others. They have a way to act. So I disagree with their statement that that what you need to do is focus on mental health. What we need to do is focus on ways to help people who are in crisis to get through the crisis without doing something horrible, whether that's a mass shooting or whether that's taking their own life.
2: So, we are Greg Fisher is also concerned about the fact that military assault rifles are easily accessible. Greg Fisher sees hypocrisy in the law that allows 18-year-olds to purchase military assault rifles, but does not allow people to purchase a beer until they're 21. Should Congress raise the age to purchase assault rifles to 21? Or should Congress just pass a law that disallows U.S. citizens of any age to purchase military assault weapons?
6: Well, frankly, Congress can do either. They have the authority to do that. The Second Amendment talks about regulation. And when Antonin Scalia wrote his opinion on Heller, he included the fact that regulation of what firearms are available is constitutional. That and background checks. For a while, you remember, there was an assault weapons ban in the United States, and there were leaks around the edges as as manufacturers figured out how to make something that was just out of the description that was included in the law. I will say that the number of mass shootings has escalated dramatically since that law expired, and it seems like it would certainly help. And also, we know that several of the most recent mass shooters are under 21. And so increasing the age would also have stopped them from being so easily able to buy a weapon. I don't have specific data on how strong the impact would be, but it seems to me that this would, that either one would be helpful. Now, our organization has been lobbying to exclude high capacity magazines. And these are things that hold more than, I think the definition that we're using is like more than 10 bullets. And one of the reasons that we know that these would be helpful is that during the Sandy Hook Elementary shooting, 11 children were able to escape and and save their own lives because the shooter had to stop and change the magazine in his weapon. So there are multitude of ways that we could get at this and they are legal and congress I would encourage congress to take it up in discussion I don't believe that's not part of the current uh, bipartisan framework but that seems like it would be a lovely thing for them to include in the future So Congressman John Yarmuth pointed out that 85% of the
2: American population support tougher gun safety laws some 60% of the National Rifle Association members also support tougher gun safety laws The U.S. claims to be a representative democracy. If most U.S. citizens support stronger gun regulations, why doesn't our political leadership strengthen gun safety regulations?
6: All right. So, uh, Jim, uh, the first thing I'd like to do is share with you a Fox News poll that I saw this morning, which Sunday morning. And the Fox News poll said that 88 percent of the people polled support expanded background checks. 82% 82% of the people support raising the age to be able to purchase an, A, an assault type style weapon to 21 years old. 81% support the sort of red flag law that I described. So the numbers have fluctuate, but I thought it was really very interesting that that these that they, they had this data today. And and actually, I'm sorry, I left off the last one. The final one was that in the Fox News poll, 63% of the people polled supported banning assault weapons. So Congressman Yarmuth is 100% on, on target. He is absolutely right. The vast majority of people in this country support these kind of laws. In fact, people are surprised when they learn that not everyone has to undergo a background check in order to buy a gun. This is not something that every town has taken a position on. So I'm speaking to you about my thoughts, not every town's thoughts, if that's okay. That's fine. Okay. There are two things that have that are really playing havoc with the founding principles of our country. You know, the foundational principle was that the people would choose their representatives. And that was the wild and crazy liberal idea on which our country was founded, that we would throw out the the hereditary monarchies and we would let we the people choose the people to represent us. Uh, The first one that's causing problem is gerrymandering. The gerrymandering was actually invented before the Republican Party existed. It was a New England governor who drew maps of districts that were so oddly shaped. Uh, the newspaper was making fun of him and said one of his districts looked like a salamander. But since his name was Jerry, they called it a gerrymander. And that name has stuck for these weird districts. The difference today is that is that it's because of the data that exists about all of us and because of the ability to really crunch that data in all sorts of ways with uh, computers, uh, since 2010, gerrymandering has really been weaponized in order to allow the representatives to choose their voters rather than the voters to choose their representatives. So what happens is that people have to play to the extremes, that it doesn't matter that of people in this morning's Fox News poll said they want expanded background checks because they're not playing to that 88%. They're playing to the small percentage of people who are the outliers who will drive a primary challenge or we'll drive them out of office if they if they do this. So that's part of the problem, is gerrymandering. And they've kept other things out, like the Fair Voting Act and, and the, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. And gun, gun laws are not the only things that have been kept out of public discussion by this, the gerrymandering at, at the uh, George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, the uh, John Lewis Voting Rights Act. These are things that are very popular with people in the country But they're not discussed because uh, they can be blocked by politicians who are playing to the radical extreme rather than representing the people of this country. The other issue is Citizens United because it has allowed so much dark money to flow into our politics. It's a very corrupting influence. You know, the love of money is the root of all evil. Well, we have a lot of people who are feeling a lot of love right now in politics. Uh, in fact, uh, I believe it was Maria Butniskaya, the Russian spy who was, uh, who was convicted of funneling money in for influence and then was expelled and sent back to Russia. You know, this is the kind of thing that she was working on. So these two things are are clear and present dangers to our democracy, gerrymandering and Citizens United.
2: Okay. The Louisville March for Our Lives presentation demonstrates a theme here. Speaker Rose Smith, Soyana Mastin, Jill Smith, Greg Fisher, and John Yarmouth all speak of the importance of the youth movement in terms of change. Is it going to take a concerted effort on part of America's youth? in order to convince the political leadership to pass reasonable gun safety laws. Are our young people up to the task?
6: Yes, I believe they are, absolutely. And I believe that they will drive the change. Our children today grow up with active shooter drills and they have had it. And they are going to be a force for change as they get become old enough to vote, they are going to stand up and try to make their and make their voices heard on this issue because it has been and it it because it's something they've grown up with. I saw a cartoon this morning that depicted a veteran, probably a World War II veteran, standing next to a small boy in front of a graveyard. The veteran said, I lost my brothers on the beaches of Normandy. The little child said, I lost my brothers in second grade at school. <clears throat> I'm sorry, this upsets me. But we are we are allowing the slaughter of our children. And I do think that some of us old people and all of the young people are going to join together and we're going to make a difference.
2: Rose Smith, one of our speakers today, is the founder and director of the ACE Project. Tell us a little more about the ACE Project. Will it have a political impact? And does it connect with mom's demand action in, in every town USA?
6: Well, thanks for that. Because that brings in actually community-based violence intervention programs. Uh, Rose Smith's ACE Project, well, Rose Smith lost her son, Corey Crow in 2014. And she has been a powerful voice, a powerful woman bringing, trying to bring healing and help to her neighborhood. And this is an example of a community violence intervention program. And this is not something that's political. This is something that happens on the ground outside of politics. In the ACE project, Rose has uh, constructed, well, she she bought the home outside of which her, husband, her son was killed. And she had it has gotten it remodeled and she offers entrepreneurship training for, for youth. She gives them a place to come and learn skills. She's got kids, kids that come for sewing classes. She provides support to survivors of gun violence. She's organized healthcare weekends for a little bit of relief and getaway and also to learn better ways to, you know, ways to help yourself. Rose's organization isn't overtly political. In fact I'd say it's not political, but she is absolutely making a change. Now, Rose is also one of our every town Survivor Fellows, and she has, speaks out in public and she speaks up in public to describe the pain that she as a mother has felt. And the reason that she's doing this, as she told us, is because she doesn't want any other person to feel the pain that she's felt. So voices like Rose's can help persuade reluctant politicians to pay attention. And in that way, she may have a political impact. It's not her foundation as much as it is speaking up and explaining why this is an important thing to change.
2: Okay, well, fair enough. Rose Smith also stated, quote, thank you for your thoughts and prayers, but what we need is action, end quote. Every Sunday, the priest at the Catholic Church I attend asks the congregation to pray for those who are victims of gun violence. The data demonstrates that prayer has not, stop the gunpowder. In the early 1970s, clergy here in Louisville and in other major cities as well led the protest against the Vietnam War. Why does the faith community in Louisville remain largely silent? When it comes to issues concerning gun safety laws?
6: Well, I'm going to have to disagree with your premise. I don't believe that they are silent. I just believe that the extremists and the wild-eyed people who want to bring guns into a place of, that should be a place of worship and peace are the ones who grab the headlines. But uh, Rose is right. What is faith without works? Speaking to shared Christian tradition, you, you have to combine faith and work. But, you know, it's not simply one faith group though that supports this. You know, Isaiah, Isaiah directed people to turn their implements of war, their swords, into farming implements, plowshares. Jesus of Nazareth is known as the Prince of Peace. The Quran discloses that peace is one of the names of God himself. I believe people of faith are looking for ways to find peace not to continue the violence. Specifically, I'm going to call out a couple of things. One at a national level, which is the, the U.S. Episcopal Church, overwhelmingly across the country, is speaking out against gun violence. Not every church is is as outspoken as Episcopalians, but the Episcopalians certainly are. And I, locally, I wanted to call out CLOUT. That's uh, Citizens of Louisville Organized and United Together. This year at their Nehemiah Convention, they adopted the reduction of violence as the, as the task that they were under. And they're working together, and that includes people of all faith traditions of uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, working together to address solutions, to, to find solutions to violence, to help get them implemented. Uh, short-term and long-term, and things that we can do here in Louisville. So there are people who oppose gun safety
2: law, and their defense has to do with the Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, the right of the people to keep and bear arms. John Yara states that resistance to reasonable gun safety regulations is not about the Constitution, but about gun sales. What's
3: your thought?
6: Now, I 100% agree with Congressman Yarmuth about the reason that people are pushing uh, the limits of the Constitution and why they've tried to rewrite it. In 1979, there was what they called the Revolution in Cincinnati, and the extremists kicked out the traditional board of the NRA and replaced it with a group of extremists. Before that, the NRA was focused on gun safety and on marksmanship skills. But since then, their primary focus has turned into Lobbying. And in fact, today they spend less than 10% of the money that they bring in on their traditional activities. And the rest of it goes to executive compensation and to paying into donating through whatever channels to legislators. So, and and they are heavily, heavily supported by the arms manufacturing industry. So uh, that is, uh, Congressman Yarmouth is exactly on track. They want to sell more guns. They know that if there are background checks in place on almost all gun sales, then they won't be able to sell so many guns because there will be people who won't be able to buy guns. Over 4 million gun sales have already been stopped by this law since it was implemented, and we need to, we need to start plugging up the loopholes.
2: One final question. Every town in the USA, Moms Demand Action, local groups like ACE, have spent years advocating for new reasonable gun safety regulations. Do you see progress? What needs to happen now?
6: So yes, actually, for the first time in more than 30 years, the Senate has a bipartisan framework that they're working on that includes measures to improve gun safety. And what everyone needs to do right now is to get in touch with their senators and urge them to pass this bipartisan framework into law. The current framework includes enhanced background checks for people that are under age 21, and that's to help with providing financial support to states to implement red flag laws. And that would be one of the carrots also, is that if Kentucky were to implement such a law, they could get more federal money. Disarming domestic violence abusers. There's a loophole and uh, dating partners are not considered part of the federal law that bans domestic abusers from having access to guns there is a piece about clarifying who must do background checks. That is clarifying who is actually what's called engaged in the business. Currently, federally licensed firearms dealers must conduct background checks, but people that are not federally licensed firearms dealers don't have to in states like ours that haven't expanded background checks. There's a provision to crack down on gun trafficking. States that have laws with expanded background checks still get a lot of guns from states like ours that don't have expanded background checks through trafficking there is money for increased mental health care and mental health access and there's money for school safety funding for programs that data show to be effective so first thing that everybody needs to do is to call mitch mcconnell and rand paul and tell them that we want them we the we the people of kentucky want you to support this framework And to his credit, Senator McConnell has said that he could support it. The second thing we need to do is we need to all work together and make sure that we don't, our organization is nonpartisan. We don't care if you are a Republican or a Democrat or an independent, a libertarian, or remember the Green Party. If you are wanting to work on an issue, we will work with you. And we need to get this kind of mindset across all of the boundaries that have supported us. And then the third thing that we need to do is we need to implement the community violence interruption strategies that can be effective quickly at defusing violence before it happens. And we need to make sure that they continue to be funded. Happily, the Metro Council fully funded the Office of Safe and the Healthy Neighborhoods program this year, and we need to make sure that continues. So
2: we have to say at this point that the request to con- your representative called Mr. McConnell Rand Paul is a request made by our guest today, Kathy Mingus, not the station or not the host. So we do appreciate Kathy Mingus uh, participating today. And thanks so. Thank you very much, Kathy.
6: Thank you, Jim. Thank you for having me.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, we're out of time. We want to thank our guest today, Kathy Mingus, as well as the organizers of the March for Our Lives event. We want to thank Mayor Greg Fischer, Congressman John Yarmuth, ACE Project Director Rose Smith, Soriana Mazden, and Jalanta Smith for their participation. The excess hour airs on Wednesdays at 2 p.m., Thursdays at 11 a.m., and Fridays at 1 p.m. Our interview airs again June 23rd and 24th. To listen live stream, visit us at. forwardradio.org and click on Listen Live to visit our archives. Go to forwardradio.org, choose Program Archives, and then the excess Hour program that features the March for Our Lives event.
6: I'm Jim Johnson, today's host for the XS Hour. Thanks for listening.